Well, in Nagasaki today, they were paying tribute to the victims of the U.S. atomic bombing on this day in 1945, with the mayor saying Russia's war on Ukraine showed the world that another nuclear attack is not just a worry, but a, quote, a tangible and present crisis, saying nuclear weapons can be used as long as they exist and their elimination is the only way to save the future of humankind. It is seven, seven years ago this month that atomic bombs were dropped during the Second World War on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's estimated about 200,000 people were killed in those blasts. The nuclear radiation released by the bombs caused thousands more people to die from radiation sickness in the weeks, months, and years that followed. Meanwhile, in Ukraine today, reporter Britt Klinet says Europe's largest nuclear power plant has been the site of intense fighting and attacks. Russia and Ukraine pointing the blame at each other for the attacks. The Russian Defense Ministry releasing images they say shows the aftermath of the strikes. Ukraine claim Putin's forces have intentionally planted explosives at the site. President Zelensky accusing them of nuclear blackmail. And President Zelensky has also called for new sanctions against Russia for creating the threat of another nuclear disaster. All this is taking place as the month-long 10th Review Conference of the Seminole Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty continues at the United Nations in New York, with the UN Secretary General saying it comes at a time of nuclear danger not seen since the height of the Cold War. Well, there are a few people in this country as well-equipped to talk about this subject as my next guest. Douglas Roche is an author, a peace activist who has previously served as a member of Parliament, a senator, and Canada's ambassador for disarmament at the United Nations. Thank you so much for your time tonight. A real pleasure to have you on to talk about this. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So, you know, over the years, I remember covering, actually, the anniversaries of Hiroshima and Nagasaki when I was based in Asia. And and these were always anniversaries that felt like you were looking backward a bit, although the threat was always there. But it always felt like you were looking backward. It doesn't feel that way anymore this year. Would you agree with that? Yes. The the, the danger of nuclear weapons that you just referred to, and quoting the Secretary General of the United Nations, who said it's worse than, than ever before, that danger doesn't seem to have been picked up by the public. The public is aware of the climate danger and the danger of the Ukraine war. But uh, to those other categories, you'd have to add nuclear weapons today, that there are 13,000 nuclear weapons in existence, and most of them held by the United States and Russia that are today at loggerheads. So it's a it's a very dangerous period. You know, I don't want to go around, you know, as an alarmist, but I have to tell you that in all my years in in this field, I do feel that it's uh, it's it's more critical today than ever before. Which is a t- which is a big statement from someone who's done the amount of work that you've done to try to forward the the idea of disarmament. Uh, what do you think has caused this sudden? I mean, we we knew that the threat was there. Where do you see the causes of this latest crisis coming from? Um, there's a, a reaction to uh, the, the the building up of institutions, uh, starting with the United Nations following World War II, uh, that uh, is uh, set off um, uh, competing views and visions. I mean, China has one view of, of, of how the world should be run, and the United States has a, has a competing view. And uh, the, the, the trust level that existed in order to build uh, treaties, such as the Non-Proliferation Treaty that you referred to as being reviewed in New York right now, the trust level between nations has, has dropped. And, you know, one, one would 
I almost say to, to zero. And so it's it's uh, this 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 tense tense uh, uh, situation between Russia and uh, the United States, which spills over into the international arena, uh, makes it very hard to. Um, to get anything positive done. And that's why people are quite concerned that the review conference that's going on now could end at a failure. And if it does, that will weaken the nonproliferation regime, meaning that more states will be able to access uh, nuclear weapons in the years ahead. So we, we've got to, and, and here we come to Canada. I mean, Canada has an instrumental role to play. We do not have nuclear weapons, but we have a responsibility with other non-nuclear states. We have a responsibility to work to press the nuclear weapon states to fulfill their obligations under the non-proliferation, uh, under the non-proliferation treaty, and those obligations center on the uh, the uh, uh, negotiations uh, that that must take place between the nuclear weapon states to 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 reduce and eliminate their nuclear weapons. So we, have, we have to keep pushing. We have to keep pushing this. The Non-Proliferation Treaty is perhaps one of the most successful international agreements, considering the scope of what was being tra- attempted is one of the most successful international agreements in history, in, in, at least in modern history, I would say. I mean, I don't know if you disagree with that. I mean, what would the consequences be should it start to disintegrate? Yeah, uh, uh, unravel or disintegrate. Well, it would mean that uh, the final check on states uh, such as Iran and uh, and uh, North Korea uh, and uh, possibly Saudi Arabia behind it, and, and then and then some other states in the Middle East, the possibility of their acquiring nuclear weapons will increase. So the Non-Proliferation Treaty was constructed in, uh, and came into existence in 1970 uh, to to stop the the spread of nuclear weapons. And so it's been I wouldn't say it's been entirely successful, but it, it, it uh, because there are nine states. I said. The United States and Russia have, have most of nuclear weapons, but there are a total of nine states that, that, that do possess nuclear weapons today. And uh, the, while that number is, is, uh, is serious, it's, it's not as bad as was anticipated before the Non-Proliferation Treaty came into existence. When President John F. Kennedy in the, in the 1960s for, foresaw the day when there would be 25 or 30 countries that have nuclear weapons. So it's, ha- it's had that checking effect in in the years uh, that that we've, uh, we've seen, but uh, the unraveling of the NPT now as a result of the breakdown of trust and the breakdown of the strength of institutions uh, increases the danger today. I mean, you spent a lot of time at the UN dealing with this very topic. I'm sure you've been watching what's been going on at the United Nations over the last six months or so since the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, what do you make of, of just the atmosphere because it feels like something very important and that is you've mentioned it that that relationship of at least some modicum of trust between the u.s and 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 the soviet union then russia now that existed during the cold war to some extent it feels like even that has been lost yes uh uh, unfortunately you're 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 correct Uh, that 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 level of trust that even in, say, in the 1980s, when Gorbachev and Reagan, President Reagan of the United States and President Gorbachev of the Soviet Union, had a certain amount of trust when they came together in Geneva and they agreed on, on uh, that uh, nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. 
and that led to uh, to some other minor t- treaties uh, following that. And so there was a level of trust. And then the the the, the Cold War ended, and uh, the we lost an opportunity. Put it that way, we lost a great opportunity to bring the world together. And the, for example, in 1992, the United Nations Security Council held a summit meeting for the first time. That is to say, the heads of state of the Security Council actually came to New York and met. And I was there. I, I remember it well. And it was a moment of hope. But then it fell apart as the 90s, as the 1990s progressed. And then the, the most serious thing of all, of course, was 9/11 in 2001, when the United States was directly attacked. And so that began a, a new war on terror, and it, and it, and it uh, revived militarism. And so as the years have progressed, and we went through the Iraq war, and, and now, now the Ukraine war, the militarization of foreign policies of all governments is taking place, even Canada. Canada's foreign policy is itself being militarized. But the United States, of course, the worst of all in that, in that respect, because they led the expansion of NATO uh, countries, which encircled Russia and uh, and laid the conditions that Putin then later tapped into in an, in an aggrieved manner. Now, I want to make it clear that Putin should be condemned for the invasion, for the aggression he's perpetrated on Ukraine. But the conditions that he that he was dealing with uh, were affected by a Western disdain for Russia uh, after the end of the Cold War. So, you know, the only way out of this is to have is to have a, a process of common security. That is to say, each side or all nations have to feel that they are secure, and without one nation or another dominating. And this is the, the main problem that we're facing today, which has produced the arms race in, in conventional weapons and certainly in nuclear weapons, when billions of dollars are being spent by, by the nuclear weapon states to modernize their nuclear weapons at the expense of the poor people of the world, because that money that's going into nuclear weapons is money that is desperately needed in health and education and all sorts of things for uh, vulnerable peoples of, of the world. So we have to look at security from a much broader perspective than militarism. Douglas Roche is our guest this half hour. He has previously served as a member of parliament, uh, as senator, Canada's ambassador for disarmament disarmament at the United Nations. Uh, We're talking about today is the uh, 77th anniversary of the atomic bomb being dropped on Nagasaki. Saturday was the 77th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. Uh, And it comes this year with uh, some warnings, including from the UN Secretary General, uh, the Prime Minister of Japan today also saying the same thing, that never in recent years, or at least since the end of the Cold War, does the threat of nuclear war War, or at least the use of nuclear weapons feels so acute as it does today. When we come back, we'll go back to something that uh, that Douglas Roche touched on a little bit earlier, which is what is Canada's role? What can we do here, even as a non-nuclear nation? What can we do to try to advance this theme of disarmament, specifically at a time where things seem much more dire than they have in several decades? That's next. Former MP, Senator, and Canada's Ambassador for Disarmament at the United Nations, Douglas Roche, is our guest this half hour. We're talking about the anniversary today, the 77th anniversary of the atomic bombing 
of Nagasaki. Saturday was the 77th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. Uh, always a time to reflect on the state of the nuclear threat around the world, something that for many, many years was seen as sort of something that still existed, but it's certainly the threat was something that felt like it came from a different era, uh, but no longer. Uh, there's been a lot of warnings since the war in Ukraine erupted that, uh, that we are facing a dangerous time, something akin to what was the threat was back during the Cold War. Um, Mr. Roach, I mean, Canada's always played a bit of an interesting role when it came to the to the advancement of disarmament. Certainly, your career is proof of that. What role could Canada play now, do you think? Is there an opportunity for Canada to try to at least uh, play a role when it comes to advancing the cause of disarmament, given the threat that exists? Yes, there certainly is a role for Canada. Um, in, in 2017, a group of nations came together and uh, formed a new treaty called the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And they did this because the nuclear weapon states uh, were not fulfilling their obligations to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which we discussed a few minutes ago. And so they said, because you're not fulfilling your obligations, we're going to have a new treaty that will ban the actual possession of nuclear weapons. And so 122 states signed, uh, uh, 122 states voted for the adoption of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. That treaty prohibits the possession of nuclear weapons. Now, you have to sign on to it for it to take effect. And so 66 states have now ratified that treaty. Canada, as a member of NATO, has refused to sign the treaty, to, rec- to even to recognize it. And I think it's very unfortunate because NATO has taken a stand that nuclear weapons are the essential guarantee of security, which has been proven to be wrong. Uh, but in any event, the, um, uh, Canada has, has, has held to a NATO position which opposes the treaty and the prohibition of nuclear weapons. That's very unfortunate. So we have to keep pressing um, Canada to stand up in the international arena uh, for uh, nuclear disarmament and the best way to proceed on that now is the enlargement of the new treaty and the prohibition of nuclear weapons. Does that feel like there's a possibility there? I mean, obviously, NATO is expanding now. A a, a legendary non-nuclear nation, Finland, is now involved in it. Do you see there being any pressure as this continues for for that to happen? Or or do you worry that it's simply going to, as long as this war in Ukraine is going on, that there will be no movement on, on nuclear weapons? Well, of course, you touch on a, on a on a very real point. What the what the effect of the the global effect of the Ukraine war to paralyze movement forward on on uh, on other aspects related to peace. But we, I, in my view, we have no choice. We have to keep pressing for the reduction and elimination of nuclear weapons. It's simply too dangerous. The the uh, it's the, the the medical community, the scientific community, the legal community, they've all established very well that the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of the use of any nuclear weapon would overwhelm parts of the world where, where this took place. And uh, as a result of this, famines would uh, would happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, complete chaos. There is no way the health or hospital systems can cope with, with anything of, of this of this magnitude. And so the, the only way to guarantee that nuclear weapons will never be used 
uh, is to uh, proceed with their elimination. And that, of course, is what the Non-Proliferation Treaty, you know, 50 years ago, you know, 70 years ago, uh, uh, tried to tried to do to to establish the conditions for a world free of nuclear weapons. And this is not this is not it should not be dismissed as some sort of idealism, and, and not at all. It is the height of pragmatism because we cannot have weapons of mass destruction, uh, you know, sweeping around the world and expect uh, to be uh, uh, that, that we won't be uh, catastrophically affected by this. So Canada needs to stand up and, and uh, we, we need to just keep pressing them. Yeah, and I, I only have about a minute left, but I guess I guess what what we're seeing, at least with Vladimir Putin, is that uh, when a push comes to shove, there there is. I mean, in this case, he's shown some willingness, at least, to threaten to use them, and we hadn't seen that in a very long time. That hadn't been a concern for a state actor to actually, I mean, other than North Korea, I suppose. But um, yeah, that must be concern. I mean, obviously, it's concerning, but we just wonder if we can if we can find our way back up the path that you walked. Well, we've got to find our way. Uh, that's what diplomacy is all about. Uh, in, the, in the Ukraine war, there's got to be a ceasefire and there's got to be negotiations. And we have to find a way to uh, uphold uh, international law. Uh, that's, that's why the United Nations was created in the first place. And we're in a down period now. But we've got to work our way out of it. And you work your way out of it by having the political will, by having political leadership, and by a, a willingness to negotiate a, a, a program for common security. That's not beyond our ability, but uh, it, it demands a strong political will. And, uh, and the anniversary that we're now having today of August the 9th, the bombing of Nagasaki following the bombing of Hiroshima, ought to remind us of the consequences of a failure to act. Douglas Roach, thank you so much for your time tonight and your perspective. It was a real treat to have you on. Thank you very much.